Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hello, gardeners. This is episode number 40. We made it to another round number. I'm so excited. Um, I'm also excited because today we have two guests. So this is the most people we've had in a recording room at one time with our two little baby microphones. So Erin and Jenny are here with us um, because we heard about an event that they planned on campus. And I will let them introduce themselves and then tell us what that event was. Before they do that, I want to point out, I think this is also the first time we've had a guest return because Aaron has been on the podcast before. So congratulations, Aaron. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Tell us who you are again, just in case someone didn't catch your last interview. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Aaron Ingram. I'm a community engagement coordinator with the Growable team. And I'm Jenny Keshwani. I'm faculty in biological systems engineering and science literacy specialist through Nebraska Extension. You have a longer job title than me. I'm so happy. <laughs> it's a lot of words. Erin, could you tell us what that means, what your position means? Yes, absolutely. So um, I do a lot of my work in the K through 12 education space. Um, I primarily do things like professional development with teachers. Um, sometimes I'm building curriculum or other materials like games. Jenny is my like partner in crime doing game development. Um, so some things are built especially for youth um, that are in those, you know, kindergarten through senior year um, to use. Other things are, you know, partnering on campus, um, doing sort of community events that are especially bringing in um, student populations that are not typically um, seen as much in the sciences. And so working with marginalized populations um, and trying to invite them into the sciences in welcoming ways. I have to do a shout out real quick because my sister is a um, science educator educator at UALR, University of Arkansas, Little Rock, and her specialty is in culturally responsive science education. Yes, love that. And so I know she has her students listen to the podcast every so often. So hello, everyone, and thank you for listening. And Dr. Pinio, she knows where it's at. Okay, so the event that you two planned was climate and mental health. Can you tell us about the event, how it came to be, and kind of how you organized it? Uh, sure can. So this all started, um, as many things do, with a an email <laughs> from a colleague who sent something that was just like potentially of interest that she thought was a good fit from conversations that we've been having a lot lately. So she sent a documentary um, called Gen Z Mental Health Climate Stories. And we'll have a link um, so you can watch it yourself. It's only eight and a half minutes long. And at first we thought, uh, you know, eight and a half minutes. I thought documentary, hour and a half. Yes, like let's screen this somewhere. Um, this would be really wonderful. Um, Jenny and I both work in with big systems all of the time and having, you know, youth try to take action in big, messy systems, climate being one of those, um, gardens being another. So this is um, relates re regardless of whether you think of yourself as a climate activist or not. Um, but in that space, we're really hearing that students um, are sometimes grappling with more of the emotional toll or the, you know, it's emotionally taxing to grapple with these big, messy, complex systems where there isn't like an easy or straightforward answer. 
And this documentary that I was sent is exactly that. It's youth voices, you know, youth um, activists from uh, all over the globe um, talking about not only what is sort of troubling to them and like how thinking about climate and how like grappling with, you know, what do I do is affecting them emotionally um, and really working on their mental health. But also they shift in the latter part of the documentary talking about, you know, what does resilience look like? How do they build both individual and collective resilience? Um, How do you put down the baton when you're tired and pick it back up? Um, And that really just it was such a concise um, and just from youth voices, hearing directly from, you know, this Gen Z, that's that's what they're looking at for, you know, the future of their earth. And so I was really moved, um, especially given that that's the audience I primarily work with. And so we were really like, OK, let's do it. Let's figure out how we can bring this to campus. Um, we put together a small team, including Jenny um, and a few other people that were sort of helping us, you know, guide what the agenda was going to look like. And we were off to the races. How did you get roped into this? <laughs> well, I was the instigator. So Bailey sent the email and it was a group to about four of us. And we were all looking at it saying, wow, this is an amazing resource. And um, like Aaron said, just so many things that we've been talking about were aligning and it brought in the systems thinking and the climate and the mental health and all these things that we were excited about. I was like, well, why don't we do something with it? And that was kind of what started the ball rolling. Um, so kind of giving them agency to, to run with that and say, well, we have money for this. Like we can find funds to get some snacks and host the viewing and see how much it would cost to um, get the rights to show the this documentary. And it ended up being like almost nothing. I was expecting big dollar amounts and it was like, what, $200? A hundred bucks. A hundred dollars. <laughs> so um it really was an easy sell on my part to get behind it and support it. Um, and also one part, I don't know if you mentioned this, Aaron, but just the global aspect of the problem and how the voices that are shared in the documentary really represent people from a variety of different cultures and backgrounds and how we're all struggling with this issue um, and trying to figure out what, what comes next and how do we respond and take care of ourselves in the short term. So, you know, given that it's only eight and a half minutes, but actually that ended up being a huge benefit um, because it meant we could build in other programming. So we started talking about what that could look like. um, And we decided, you know, an expert panel would be really great talking about. um, I think at first we were sort of talking about the idea of just focusing on eco anxiety, like the narrow scope of like bad feelings about climate. But the more that I talked to folks, um, especially in mental health fields, um, they were like, you know, a range of emotions can be felt, some of them very empowering. And that is that was really interesting to me. So we expanded, you know, the panel from beyond just mental health and eco anxiety to let's just talk about all of the range of, you know, emotions and and mental health that you might be experiencing um, around climate. And um, we wanted to branch out and have more than just mental health experts um, represented. So we, you know, have uh, Rachel Perlman, who um, recently defended her dissertation and did an entire, like all of her work on messy systems and how counselors can be bringing up these issues, things like, you know, racial injustice and, you know, these kinds of, you know, BLM 
Black Lives Matter? And, um, you know, how do you support people working in these big, messy systems better? And that was just a perfect fit. Um, we also talked to Martha Durr, and she had great stories personally. Um, she's our state climatologist, and she could speak very eloquently, both as a parent, but also as a professional, about what it is to work in this space in the long term, and how do you like sustainably do that for yourself, right? And then she connected me with a high school, a recent high school graduate from Papillion La Vista South, um, Ashley Gast, who had been working in the climate action space since she was 11. Um, I was super eager to learn what that looked like. Um, and she just had the systems perspective immediately on a call with her. And I was like, there's our panel, you know, um, Rachel, Ashley and Martha. And it was such a wonderful experience um, hearing such diverse perspectives um, all at the intersection of these really big systems of climate and mental health. Um, we followed up with a small group discussion at the event because everyone, I think, needs to have some space and some room to process their own emotions after you're here, not only from the documentary, but also from these experts. Um, and then, you know, we wrapped up with um, community partners that had booths with resources. So if you're, you know, wondering, what do I do now? Um, as you're walking away, some of them were focused on climate and some of them were focused on like, how do you care for yourself? How do you care for your mental health? And it was a really wonderful event. Um, I don't know if Jenny has anything else to share that I've forgotten, but um, I'm really grateful for the group that came together. It was really great. I think I'll just add the idea you were just talking about before we came over here. Erin <laughs> um, was really intentional about how she set up the panel. Um, that was really where you took the lead and you were interviewing folks and reaching out to people to, to get them involved and, and serve on the panel and then really prepping them in, in a way to make sure the conversation was um, fruitful and beneficial, but also leveling the playing field. Um, two of the people on the panel have doctors in front of their names. And one is a high school graduate that just hasn't even started college yet. Um, and you were really smart about that and just managing how you were presenting them, how they're introduced to the audience. And just they all had an equal voice and perspectives to share and really brought that as part of the experience for the, the attendees of the event. Before we get into talking a little bit more about how the discussion went, if somebody wanted to replicate this type of event in their community, is there a kind of like a, do you have a step-by-step -step or could they reach out to you to learn more about that? Absolutely. I would love to talk to folks. I learned actually a lot in, um, I hadn't done a whole lot in the climate space. We do a lot of in, you know, messy systems, especially garden systems, which is why I've been on the podcast before. Um, but climate was kind of a new area for us. So getting to know lots of professionals um, and how willing everyone was to contribute. So, yes, if you're looking to do something like this, I'd be more than happy to chat with someone. Also, just knowing that, like, you're talking to a very receptive group of folks who really want to see these kinds of conversations happening. So what were some of the like big ahas that came out of this, either expected or unexpected? I'm going to pass it over to Jenny first. <laughs> Thanks, Erin. You're so kind. Um, big ahas. I think what was exciting for me was to see the students that came to the event. And it's easy for us to kind of get stuck in our bubble. Um, we see the people around us and what they're thinking about big systems like climate change and resiliency and all of that. But I don't really know what 
is happening with the the younger people, and it's easier for us to to make ideas and kind of guess what's happening. Um, but really, just to see these students come from a variety of different schools in Lincoln and the clubs that they had already formed and what they were wanting to do, and really sharing vulnerably what um, struggles they were having and what support that they maybe would want from people in our roles at the university or in other um, aspects was just really encouraging. So I really enjoyed that part of the event. I think specifically um, a comment that was made by one of you know the student leaders that attended the event, um, she was part of a sustainability club. I think it's Southwest. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, we do it for fun. We always are saying how fun the club is. And she was like, this event made me think that it can be fun and it can also push for change that I want to see happen. And so, you know, they were talking about what kind of policies would they want to see changed in their high school and how could they make administration more aware that these are important to them and that that can also be, um, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it certainly can be part of the conversation and she says I just want to move us beyond just having fun and I said you know I love that it's not uh it can't be fun it has to be this other thing because I think one of the big things the big takeaway for me especially from folks who are working in this space for the long term is that you have to have a balance in your life of being able to put some of these things down you know the issue down and live your life and Um, enjoy life and enjoy the now. And I I think that's the thing that I was hearing is, you know, sustainability clubs should be fun. It should be something that you enjoy and you should get energy from that. And how can you make, you know, substantive change that you want to see happen? That's really good to hear. Um, I think in high school, especially, you get this feeling of, lack of control because you're almost adult and you see what's coming. Um, but at the same time, you know, lots of times your school isn't listening to you or it feels that way. <laughs> it feels like your parents aren't listening, whatever it might be. So knowing that they can do this type of activity and feel like they are making a difference and have some control, especially so that then when they are kind of in a decision making capacity very soon after that, that they know it, it's, it's a difference maker. That's one of the things I enjoy about working with youth, because sometimes I'm not, I'm, I'm sometimes and too much of an optimist in, in some of these ways. And so I get frustrated when you work with grown up in quote groups that are kind of self punitive in the sustainability world. You get people who are almost trying to be sustainable as a way to punish themselves for having done something unsustainable. And that's so frustrating because that's not sustainable. You can't punish yourself forever. You have to live your life. And when you work with youth who are just so excited to share an idea and fix something or improve something, that's the attitude that I wish every sustainability group had. And I think when you give them the opportunity and the resources to do it, you experience some really excellent ideas. I talked to, I spoke at a Girls Inc. summer camp yesterday and I kind of presented, they wanted kind of a career talk of 
what we do. My job is super boring. So nobody wants to hear about that. I'm like, yeah, I worked on a budget for four hours. So exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I talked actually about Sarah's job uh, because her job is much more exciting. And then I said, here's how this works, project management and greed infrastructure and everything. And if you come up with a good project within the next month, I will fund it because we have the money to do that right now. Um, And that certainly got some eyes open, like, oh, I could actually do this thing. It's not in theory. And when you give them that, all of a sudden, I had a lot of people like, well, I think it would be better if we had trees along this. And I could tell them things about what trees do, not just for people, but for the environment and for built infrastructure. So um, I say, let's hand the reins over to kids a little bit more often. I loved projects in school, except that there was always that point where you realized your project wasn't real. And when we can do that, that's one of the fun things about being an organization that funds projects is sometimes we get to go to youth organizations to say, your project can be real. And that is so, that's so exciting. So what were some of the main concerns that were talked about at the event. I mean, I think we know a lot of them. Um, As you get older, your concerns, I think, change too. As you get older, you're worried about your kids or your grandkids or something. But what are something that the younger Gen Z are, are worried about? So one thing that I saw that really surprised me in the documentary was how many of our young people are really seriously considering not having their own kids and that it's mainly due to the climate and what they see is happening um, in the future. I was wondering if that would come up because I hear it with my friend, millennial generation too, and I was wondering if that was even more prolific in Gen Z. Um, Ashley Gast, one of our panelists had said, you know, we, we asked the question about like, what are some of the big pitfalls when you're working in the climate space? Um, and I think she said hyper-awareness or hyper-focus. Um, you are inundated with so much information, not only about like the science side of climate, but also, um, you know, you should be worried for these reasons and the, these benchmarks. And, you know, it's always this ticking clock that that's the analogy, right? It makes everything feel very um, like it needs to happen right now. And it does. But it also, um, I think, can be paralyzing to have that kind of pressure put on you when you're a kid. And so she was saying, you know, it's really easy to get kind of stuck in that hyper awareness of um, and this goes back to your point, Sarah, about um, when adults do it. But I think it's I, I was the kind of kid who did this as well, where you are are punitive, right? Mm-hmm. Where you see like everything, and that happens in the documentary as well. Everything that I do has to relate back to solving this issue. I feel like that's the case, right? And so, and how and how debilitating that um, sort of take can be, especially for kids. And so, I think looking at um, Ashley's point about hyper you know, awareness and being like, you know, when do I need to put the phone down? Is, is this information that's actionable? Is there something that I'm learning from this that then I can take and do something with? Because if I can't, I probably need to consider whether this is actually helping or it's hurting. 
So my master's degree is in public administration. So another big system that we're trying to figure out how to make it work together. And one thing that really frustrates me is is the opposite of this, Erin, when kids, or I shouldn't say kids, young people, I like that better, when they do have an idea and that, that could be good and work and they come forward. And I think the best example of this to me that's off the top of my head is the March for Our Lives movement um, started out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, right? Um, when they came forward and said, here's a plan for fixing these issues, we all went, no, 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 no. We're not going to listen to that, right? Because it's too hard. It's too complicated. It's too big. Um, and so when when students come forward with plans, we need to listen to what they're saying. Um, and so that I guess that's a frustrating thing. Either we're saying you're the next, you're the generation that's going to fix all of our problems, and then when they say, "Okay, here's something to try," we go, Mm-mm, "Not that one. <laughs> don't don't worry about that one." Did you hear anything come up in these conversations about resource use? Because something I hear from adults is we, you know, this kind of like, if we start limiting our use of these resources, it's bad. You know, we can't lose plastic bags. What will we put our groceries in? But I see from younger people that they're not upset about losing that resource. They would rather lose that resource. And so... If we could have young people's voices saying, we're okay with not having this thing that our parents had, I think that may free up some adults to say, it's okay if we let it go away. Because as a parent, what you want to do is leave a better life for your child. And I, I see that from adults. We worked hard to have this resource. If we give it up, our kids won't have it. And yet I hear from young people, we're okay with not having that resource. It's exploitive or it's pollution, um, we would rather it go away, stop giving it to us. (laughs) I don't know um, if Jenny remembers hearing anything like that. I don't think when I was going around to groups listening that that in particular came up. But I think the um, in the same vein of what you're talking about, um, this idea of this is the way that it's always been um, and trying to imagine new futures that haven't been imagined yet, Mm -hmm. I think is something that everyone seemed um, hungry for and really asking us, you know, how do we build these experiences so that there's space to start thinking about what it could look like? Because I think we just take for granted or like it's expected that because we have plastic bags now, we're always going to. And I think that that's where... um, Uh, conversations that came from this event actually led to, so there's a Nebraska uh, Youth Climate Summit that's coming up this fall, September 22nd. It's going to be an all-day event here on East Campus. And one of the organizers of that was one of our community partners um, who had a booth. And he said, I experienced this world-building event at the Water for Food conference. Could we do something like that, but with youth? And I said, I think that would be a really great idea. We are in talks right now with the folks who did that event um, to see if we could kind of structure something at the Nebraska Youth Climate Summit that would allow youth sort of that um, experience. Because I think thinking about how it could be is an especially valuable 
tool in the toolkit as we're trying to move away from whatever it is and toward something new. And I find it so interesting how quickly the past goes away because we talk about building a new new future. Well, just to use the example I pulled up because it's easy to talk about. I just Googled the first plastic bag. 1965. <laughs> We've only had plastic bags since 1965. So we're not talking about something we've had forever. And that is the case for so many things. And um, I enjoy hearing that um, youth are interested in exploring those um, options and, and changes because the, the change is already, it's going to happen. And if we can control it a little bit, we can make better choices. I think resource management is such a fascinating way to talk about this, because as we've seen more, I guess, laws and regulations put in place surrounding resources, plastic bags being a, a big one, um, we see conflicting evidence on if it works or not, right? So plastic bags goes back and forth on if you ban them, does it does it decrease plastic waste? And so far, what's coming out is probably not. And I think one of the ways to look at resource use with people is saying, instead of what? Right? So if you're using, if, if you're getting rid of plastic bags, you have to give an alternative. And I think it's another reason why I, when I was in school, or maybe not that long ago, um, the university student whatever their uh, government, student government, did a vote on getting rid of the the balloons in the stadium when the football team had a touchdown. At the time, we weren't getting a whole lot, still not so much. So maybe not as big of an issue anymore. Um, and they said, should we vote to get rid of them? But they didn't put any alternatives. So what are we going to do to celebrate instead? Because that's an important part of you know, university culture here is celebrating that touchdown, that first touchdown. And so when we just go in and we say, we're getting rid of straws, right? That was a big one not too long ago. Save the sea turtles, get rid of all the straws. Um, what are we doing instead? We need to be saying instead of, you know, but I think that's a, a better way to look at it. So if we're getting rid of bags, how are we making sure people have reusable bags? Okay, it's t that time on the clock to make another shift. So what um, positive feelings or hopeful feelings did you hear discussed as you were walking around at this event? This is a, a audio medium, so I will say they just both looked at each other really. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little questionable, <laughs> but I'm sure there were positives. I hope. We'll, we'll cut it. They were positive. They were positive. You, you're not supposed to share those things. We thought we weren't being videoed. How dare we be positive in an I environmental know. area? I, I heard you already say some, so I just want you to call them out is all I'm asking for. No, and I think one of the positive things was just the fact that the event happened and people showed up and want to be part of this conversation. And one of the things that the panelists spoke quite a bit about was the importance of community and having these conversations together, knowing that you're not facing this challenge alone. And I think that was a big positive that I heard from attendees was just like, I thought my school is the only one doing this, or I was kind of alone in this bubble, but now there's these other people at different levels around um, the community that are also involved in wanting to make a difference. And I think um, selfishly or 
um, personally, um, planning this event was really great because I was learning about upcoming things that are happening happening um, in this space. So like what other climate conversations are happening that are s- sort of um, geared towards empowering young adults, right, or, or young people. Um, and so there are several things coming up. So I think that's another thing is um, the conversation didn't stop just because the event is done. It was a continual conversation of, you know, if you if this was interesting to you, where can you go next um, to continue the conversation? And so um, Spring Creek Prairie has an event that's going to be coming up in August. Um, that is called the Climate and Culture, a Conversation. It's on August 20th from 1 to 5 p.m. out at the Prairie. Um, And I think that's in uh, conjunction maybe or put on um, with dollars from Humanities Nebraska. I could be wrong about that, but I think that that's accurate. Um, So this gave us... um, Jason from there had the the bird nerd, right, had sent me um, a flyer before the event. So we got to post that up Um, while people were filtering in so that they know it's happening. And I think that's back to Jenny's point about community is just that I felt I was able to like take some sort of action. You can do this too in your community if you want to put on something like this. Like there's nothing special about what I did, right? Um, Go find a library. I disagree with that (laughs) statement. (laughs) Um, My point being that anyone can go and do this, right? If there's something, and it doesn't have to be this, but if there's something that's of interest to you and you want to get a community built around it, I think giving, you know, going to your local library and saying, hey, do we have space for some people to get together we got popcorn for free um by just asking like a local business hey (laughs) could we get some popcorn (laughs) um so amazing uh popcorn and snacks um in clock tower area um was very generous and gave us popcorn for our event for nothing Yes, Jenny's saying, a huge popcorn. Let them know how huge it is. Uh, um, But these are the things, like, it was energizing for me to put this on and, like, talk to people, work with a team to do it. You could do that, too. And it's just a matter of, um, you know, if that's around gardening, if that's around climate, if that's around other big, messy systems, like, I would love to hear it. Um, Because I feel like this is how we start having those important conversations um, in a, like, very local way. Um, so we can start talking about like what are the actual changes that we'd like to see happen in our own communities. Did you ask them about mental health resources they might know? Are you ready? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what are some mental health resources that people can explore if this is feeling overwhelming to them or if they want to just make sure that they're taking care of themselves? Okay, so... I want to talk about this from a like broader perspective. Um, the climate action, the climate. Oh, I'm gonna screw this up. We're gonna have to re-record this part. It's the people who helped make the documentary. Um, climate mental health network, something like that. Um, one, if you are specifically interested in resources that are. Um, around climate and mental health. This is a, I think, national 
um, organization. Again, they're one of the makers of the documentary, um, one of the producers of it. And they have incredible resources on their website um, that you can go to, not only for yourself, but also if you're working with youth that you could use with youth. So in a more local context, um, if you're in Lincoln, uh, or if you are, you know, going to UNL and you happen to be a student who is, you know, looking for resources. One, um, Big Red Resilience um, out of the Student Affairs Office um, was incredibly supportive. Also, they were so interested in um, like being present. They were helping to facilitate the event. Um, they were a great resource. Also, CAPS. So if you're dealing with like a mental health, like this is truly, truly impacting you on a daily basis, and you're not just looking for like resilient strategies. Um, I think CAPS is probably another really great place, and that's the Counseling and Psychological Services um, office here on campus. Um, they would both be great if you have access as a UNL student. If you don't have access in those ways, say you're a high school student or you're in you know, Lincoln Public Schools, I learned, um, I went to the Nebraska Mental School, men school mental health conference um, in June, the beginning of June. And I learned that there are so many resources available. Um, so even if you're not in Lincoln, your school may have access to a counselor or a social worker that if you went and said, this is something that I'm struggling with, I need resources, I need help. That is what they are there for. And so again, we had specifically um, a person from LPS and their counseling services um, present, you know, sort of what a social worker does, what a counselor does, like on a little handout at the event. But you can contact your school directly and find out what resources are available more directly in that way, too. And of course, if you're in crisis, you can use the 988 line anytime, text or call. Okay, so for the second half of this episode, I want to make it a little more personal, and I want us each to, um, you know, just maybe talk a little bit about why environmental issues interest you as a career, and I want to hear one thing that concerns you and one thing that keeps you hopeful. It was my question, so I will start if you would like me to. <laughs> that that is fair. Um, with a pot, I would just like do a round robin, but with a podcast, it's easier to do one voice at a time for our poor listeners, so we don't, you know, make them dizzy. So, um, this is Sarah. In case you haven't recognized my voice yet, I have always been interested in environmental um, anything because I just like to be outside. Um, and my desire to keep having the outside to be in is probably why I work in this space. Um, but also I found out that I can actually help people. It's something that I'm reasonably good at and they keep hiring me to do. And so I find successes in every time I'm able to go to a project and help make their idea of reality. And it's a lot easier to keep wanting to do your job when you get to have a success every once in a while. So I always encourage people, you know, there are, are wonderful humans who are very gifted at a global view of life. I'm not one of them. I'm a very local view person. And sometimes that's an easier sphere to think about. And so um, I love that as the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum, we work in communities in our state. And that's a bitable piece of the sandwich to me. So that keeps me going. 
The thing that concerns me is when people aren't aware. I feel like when people are aware of a resource use and are just maybe thinking they don't want to give it up or they don't want to change, that's something that we can have a conversation about and changes can be made. But the unawareness of people of what resources it takes to give them the things and the stuff that they have concerns me um, because that's just unawareness is very hard to converse about okay this is hannah and i will go next um i have two concerns and one positive (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i've been i was thinking about how to piece these all together but i think um one of the things that really i guess spurred me to be actionable in this area is just in my lifetime the rate of deterioration has increased a lot. Um, We're seeing, I I hear people talk about, oh, when will we see the first climate refugees? Well, it's already happening, right? And just the, and I'm not trying to be like doomsday here, but in many cases, we've passed the point of no return. And now we need to figure out how to mitigate and how to adapt and how to reverse the things that we still can right the positive here is that when i go out into communities throughout nebraska which politically may not align with some of the things that we're talking about there's a lot of agreement there is agreement when you find the thing that is most important to people Um, for a lot of folks in our state it's agriculture it's a major movement Um, or mover of our economy here. And so when you can relate things to agriculture and show them how it'll save money or it'll keep their land in better shape as they try to continue to work it, all different types of things, there's a lot of agreement. And you can kind of work off of that piece to make a difference as you want to. Um, But then the, the part that concerns me again after that is if you don't make it easy they won't do it, right? And so I hear this from as small as, I'm not gonna recycle this bottle because there's not a recycling container right here, or especially in the city of Lincoln, who doesn't provide Lincoln uh, citywide recycling, it's an add-on to your garbage pickup, right? Which I've lived in Lincoln my whole life, so I didn't realize how weird it was that we had all these little garbage companies that come around. I thought that's how everyone did it, but no, it's kind of a minority. And so they just won't recycle because it's it's hard, right? Um, all the way up to really big, big scale differences. And we talk about it a lot in the rural forestry side of things with windbreaks, right? In order to get your crop insurance or to get your loan that you need, you have to have everything in production that you can. So out goes the windbreak. But then as soon as we get a storm, which is becoming more prevalent in climate change, then your crop insurance goes it is more expensive because it blew over in the storm, right? And so it's this cycle of things where it's it's like how do we get everyone to in one room and say, so we all agree we want to be more resilient and we want prices on things to be lower, right? And we just want to be able to do our fun things that we like to do every day. So here's how we can do that. But um, it's a challenge, but something that is fun when I travel the state to be able to kind of point out to people, especially when they feel diametrically opposed to say, look, here's an agreement you all have. 
So let's work off of that. The opposite of the fact that to be sustainable as an individual is relatively easy to the fact that then if you turn that around and you look at sustainability for a town, it looks really hard, is kind of fascinating to me. And that's one thing I kind of can go back and forth between. So if I start feeling bad about how hard it is to make my town sustainable, I can look at how easy it actually is to make me individually make changes. And you can kind of bounce back and forth between those things and take bites out of the hard problem when you have that energy and um, fall back on the easier problem when you need to take a break. Sarah, can I just say how much I love the double sandwich? <laughs> like analogy. It's lunchtime and I'm really hungry. <laughs> okay, so why am I working in this area? So I grew up on a farm and just kind of like you mentioned, love being outside and um, never really thought of my career ending up in this trajectory. Um, but here I am and we get to work on really cool me and Aaron, when I say we, uh, we could get work in these really cool spaces through Global and the Science Literacy Initiative and, and all of that and thinking about systems thinking and, and STEM-informed decision-making um, really has allowed me to kind of dive into environmental concerns as part of the work that we get to do, which I still think is pretty amazing. Um, so what I think is negative and concerning um, Kind of like both of you mentioned a little bit, just like how it gets so um, political and emotional when people are talking about these different topics. And it's, climate's one of them, um, but it could be lots of different things. You think about pandemic or GMOs or whatever your topic of the day is. Um, and really just getting wrapped up in, are you a good person or a bad person if you believe this or don't believe that? And that's what's concerning to me, because that's really hard to... Um, just talk about and have meaningful discussion. And I think if we're not living in community and having those discussions, it just makes any forward progress really difficult. The positives that I see um, are that one, there's community forming around these spaces and that's just brings joy to me. It's in my joy basket. So, um, and also the idea of systems thinking is something that we've been pondering for several years now, and it just aligns so incredibly well um, when we talk about these big complex systems. And some of the things you both were saying about like the plastic bags, and if you make this choice, then um, maybe it's gonna lead to more people not making those choices. Or um, we talk about quick fixes that fail a lot. Um, I think something like the plastic bags is one of those quick fixes that's probably not gonna have the outcome that we want because you're taking something away from me. So I feel like I'm doing this big thing already and having my impact on the world. But in the reality, it's a pretty small drop in the bucket of what needs to happen, um, as well as the idea that it's a big, complex system. And a lot of these changes, if we're just addressing in little small ways in individual actions, aren't going to have the larger effects that we're wanting. A lot of systemic change needs to occur, which is scary um, because those are really hard things to push forward and to um, get people on board with, but um, I think it just allows us more opportunities to, to think big um, and to have these big solutions, which is my final positive, um, and that is what the youth are talking about and the creative cool ideas they're going to come up with as we meet these challenges is just really exciting to, to see as a 
getting older person. <laughs> and they're so creative. Um, and the things that they're willing to try out that we would kind of just squash right at this offset, um, I think is just really encouraging and exciting to see what, what ideas they come up with. Okay, I've now had, I think, enough time to mull this question, this three-part question. <laughs> so, um, so why like working in this space or like what got me into this space. So I did not um, come into the environmental education space um, f- like from the beginning. I, I think I kind of stumbled into it and I'm really grateful that I get to work alongside Jenny um, in this space. But I was just going to be um, like strictly a classroom teacher um, and I really loved English <laughs> once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I. Uh, let me re-say that because I don't mean just a classroom teacher. I think I've broadened sort of what I was interested in as I got older. And early on, it was very much strictly wanting to be a classroom teacher. Um, I went and got a degree and um, moved away for a while because I'm from Nebraska originally, from a farm as well. Um, I know Jenny's from North Dakota. I'm from South Central Nebraska. And what town? Shout it out. <laughs> Nearest <laughs> county. You can do either. <laughs> hello, Franklin. I'm like, hello, Cleveland. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so hello, all Franklinites. Um, I hope I'm making you proud. Uh, and I think I, I just kind of couldn't wait to get away from small town. And now that I'm back, I think I just really overlooked a lot of things that I loved about or that I, I missed um, about sort of Nebraska, about like being from an area that like produces food that, you know what I mean? Like there's just something about like being from Nebraska that I really like, can appreciate now that I just don't think young Aaron <laughs> really appreciated. Um, but I also, along my path happened along, um, to find insects. And so insects are really sort of my like portal into environmental education. And now like that I'm working in the systems thinking and thinking much more broadly than insects. It's like my world is being blown up even bigger. Right. So it went from like teaching only English (laughs) to now, oh, teaching science is also interesting. And like, how do I apply my skills in teaching, but in this other space? And now it's like not just insects that I want like folks to like get excited about because I'm excited about too, but it's also like all of these other environmental issues, including climate. And so I think just realizing that like the possibilities are endless in this to find a place for yourself, I think is part of what's so exciting about um, environmental education and the there's there can be a space for everyone um we definitely need to work on being welcoming and being you know building uh places to belong um for everyone and that goes to um what i think concerns me the most and that is like the inequity that exists not only in you know when i talk about education and you know who gets access and who doesn't but also it extends to all of these big issues you know who is going to be impacted by the climate crisis it's going to be more prominent in in areas of the world and right here at home um, for marginalized communities and that to me is um, the most troubling Um, i think i could talk about that for a really long time (laughs) 
Um, I could talk about that forever, too. In the philanthropic arena, we see it so much. You look at like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Bezos Foundation. Like, Who are they giving money to and why and how those things align with them? And then they ultimately get to be the decision makers for these small and sometimes underrepresented communities. And so... Um, and I was reading an article yesterday about how women, especially power to us, are leading the change in and empowering more of BIPOC and underrepresented communities. So good job. <laughs> and I think while all of that can be very overwhelming and I find myself, again, I think as much as anything, this event really came from a personal place for me as well. Just that like covid um, gave me a lot of time to think a lot of people a lot of time to think about like the lift that you're making and is the lift that you're making in life in work and personal life is it like sustainable what could I be doing um, to be taking better care of myself and my community and my family and I think this 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 one small event is my gift <laughs> my beginning gift right to to not only myself, but to others, um, trying to have those conversations and trying to provide supports. And um, I think that's what makes me really hopeful is that I have seen through this and other things that, you know, I've been able to do with the Growable team. Like Jenny said, we're so lucky to be in the positions that we're in. And I love my job so much um, that I feel that I'm able to contribute in a meaningful way that I don't. I know I didn't see when I was younger and I hope that not only like we, you know, if someone talks to me that they might see like those kinds of opportunities for themselves. Um, but also that like, if they came to the event, if they didn't come to the event, if they just hear about the event or like, you know, I have this other thing that I'm really interested in doing and they, you know, want to take up the mantle and go do that. I hope that they do. And I hope that they realize that we are out here too. And we would love to help support you in doing that. And so, um, it makes me hopeful that I feel, I feel empowered. Um, it also makes me, you know, the, the knowledge of how inequitable things are makes me very intentional when we do our work to make sure that voices, um, that are not lifted up, get lifted up and that people who need to be at the table to make some decisions are there. And that maybe I have some power to make the space at the table. Um, that's, what's hopeful for me. Thank you all for taking on that very large question, but I think really important one, too, um, because another thing that keeps me hopeful and working is getting to work alongside people like everybody in this room and everybody who we work with who's not in this room because there's only four of us here. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a small room at the moment, but to be surrounded by people who are passionate about using the opportunity they have to make changes is something that keeps me very motivated and um, I know that I can go to those people and hear a story of success on days when I'm not feeling like I had a lot of successes so um, thank you for answering that question um, kind of one last thought that I have is that um, being a parent is also something that helps keep me hopeful I know for a lot of people that's an unhopeful thing but the fact that I have this child in my care who I can influence the way he experiences the world um, is a moment that I have to 
to make sure that there's a change happening into the future. And that's a really hopeful thing for me as I get to see the world through his eyes um, and try to make sure he has opportunities to see things. Um, that's really important that we keep doing that for the next generation. And teachers do that as well in really important ways. So I'm grateful for all the teachers that work with these sustainability clubs and groups and encourage the students. Our last thing of the episode, much more light and uplifting. <laughs> Hannah, what's blooming in your garden right now? Okay, well, you said uplifting, but I do have a grievance to bring, Sarah, <laughs> which is that my Cali Rowie is taking over. And yesterday I had to cut it back. <laughs> Didn't you tell me it was dying last week? Just one plant. The rest are too many. There are too many. It is it is eating my other plants. I literally had to dig a foot to find certain plants. Like, are you still here? And I cut around it so it would have some more space. Um, so it's doing really, really well. It is blooming. It's great. It's wonderful. But another one of my favorites that's blooming right now is my allium. Um, I think it is prairie. I think I have prairie onion, but it could also be millennium. I am not sure. Um, so those are blooming. They look gorgeous. We did a rain-soaked tour of the um, Assurity Building garden this morning. And wow, what isn't blooming there? It's amazing. If you have a chance to go walk around Anytime it's supposed to be beautiful weather in Lincoln this week. So go check it out because it's gorgeous. The, um, what I'm going to use a scientific name cause I can't remember. Econops, Econops. Do you know that one? That is blooming. What is that? Thistle? No, we'll look it up. It's a plant. Um, but it's blooming and it looks great. Uh, the Montrose white calamint. Perfect. If you want to know if you should have that in your garden, go check it out. See how it's behaving because it's it is glorious right now. Okay, we looked it up, and we can't find the common name. So, it's a thistle-like plant. That's that's what we have. <laughs> but I have it in a dried bouquet, and it's gorgeous. So, globe thistle. That's what it's called. I thought of it. Globe thistle. It does look like a globe. So, check it out. It's wonderful. All these things are blooming. Enjoy the plants. <laughs> not being able to remember common names is a common problem we have here. <laughs> I'm not sure I knew that had a common name. <laughs> so, Jenny and Aaron, any flowers that have made your day happier this week? Yes, but I don't know any of these fancy names, so I'm going to sound kind of, I don't know. I've been taking pictures of my sunflowers. Oh, They're I love really sunflowers. happy and tall and covered in pollinators so I've been really enjoying that and sending Aaron a few pictures I am pretty sure I received a text of a Melisodes bee earlier this week but I can't definitively say so the entomologist in me is like don't say it don't say the name you don't know that they can't see the picture they can't see the picture that's right did you put it on iNaturalist we're doing a bio blitz uh, well now it'll be last week but yeah Jenny will have to put it it's from her so I'll, I'll tell her how if she doesn't already know. Um, so what's blooming? Um, so many great things. I think just like the Assurity Garden, mine is also like exploded in the last two weeks. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Russian Sage, mm -hmm. my husband's favorite in our uh, garden, because I've made him a bee lover 
and he now watches it all season long, waiting for it to pop. And I'm like, it it did. And now he just stands out at the edge of the garden, appreciating his Russian sage. So I'm going to say that, but maybe that's like his favorite. Mine might be, um, I don't know if you say it, Liatris, Liatris, um, the Blazing Star. Um, and I don't know what variety I have. Um, I have a white one and I have a purple one and they're all opening right now. And I just love them. They look like a weird little cactus, like in your, you know what I mean? That just brings me so much joy to have a big spiky thing that's purple. They're also called gay feather. Yes. Because it looks like, it can look like a feather. Yes. Yes. Um, Also the bees. I mean, everything in my garden probably has bees on it because I'm very intentional in picking the stuff that has good pollen. But like, man, they are swarming it. Um, I'm supposed to just pick one. So I'm going to stop there. We never cut people's flower choices off. My garden is blooming lovely, but I got to float in Valentine this weekend. And so mine is going to be all the wildflowers that were blooming. And the bee balm is going crazy. And the um, just, I mean, the sunflowers, the everything, vervain, swamp milkweed, the job high was about to bloom. They've had so much rain there that there was more flowers than we go every year about the same time. And this was a stunning year for wildflowers. Would that be hoary vervain? <laughs> it was in fact hoary vervain. <laughs> I can't miss an opportunity to legally say hoary. <laughs> You could say verbena stricta, but that's not quite as fun. No. All right. And with that, we should eat some food. Um, but thank you two for coming so much. We appreciate it. Erin, you're welcome back anytime. So are you, Jenny. Anybody, you know, we're happy to have these conversations, especially when you don't let me pull you down into the dumps, which is <laughs> something I am able to do easily. But thank you for coming. And thank you to everybody for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening. Share us with your friends. Send it around. Um, Send us your questions. So gardening season, we'd be happy to answer any of your questions. Remember, we answer them ahead of recording. So you don't have to wait for us to record the answers for you to get the answers to your questions. And by we, I mean Sarah. She always answers them. (laughs) I often am like, I don't know. Dig it up. I got nothing. So there's always an option. As a reminder, you should have had in your feed last week a special announcement that we launched our Patreon. So please join us for $5 a month. You can join our Patreon community. You'll get a weekly deep dive into a native or near native plant, as well as behind the scenes information from our greenhouse or uh, special podcast episodes as well. So if you just don't get enough every other week of me and Sarah, you can subscribe there for $5 a month at plantnebraska.org slash Patreon. And I have a feeling, because I have been warned by many, that many of my outtakes as the executive director from recording podcasts and videos and some of my off-color humor may make it onto there. So now I am regretting certain things. (laughs) So please join us there. And thank you for listening. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum.